Welcome to The Emily Osmond Show. I'm your host, Emily Osmond, an online marketing educator, leader of an incredible global community of female entrepreneurs and a content creator based in Melbourne, Australia. This show is designed to bring you practical strategies and candid real stories of entrepreneurs to help you make marketing, mindset and money your superpowers. Let's get into the show. Welcome back to the show. Now, you may not recognize the name of our guest today, but chances are you've heard of Buy From The Bush, especially if you're based in Australia, because it's arguably one of the most successful marketing campaigns that have been rolled out in Australia in recent times. And in today's episode, I'm introducing you to the smart, humble, hardworking, and incredibly inspiring woman behind this campaign. Grace Brennan lives on a sheep and cropping farm in Warren, New South Wales with her husband, Jack, and their four kids. In October, just last year, 2019, Grace founded the Buy From The Bush social media campaign in an attempt to support rural communities facing drought and to call on people in the city to invest in bush businesses really as a means to ensure their survival. In the first four months of the campaign, Buy From The Bush generated $5 million in revenue for businesses who'd been featured on its Instagram feed, with 21% of businesses hiring new staff and 19% starting shipping internationally. Grace has since been named by the Sydney Morning Herald as one of the nine most influential women entrepreneurs for 2019, and she was also invited by the Australia Day Council of New South Wales to give the Australia day address to the nation. Pretty incredible stuff. In this episode, you'll hear Grace's advice for businesses who want to turn their social media attention into sales, plus her advice for others looking to create successful campaigns, what she would have put in place earlier had she foreseen their huge success and what is in store for Buy From The Bush going forward. Now, also a reminder that if you've been thinking about joining my coaching group, The Modern Marketing Collective, get in now because prices are going up and they're actually doubling on the 1st of July. If you're not quite sure what The Modern Marketing Collective is or who it's for, well, consider it your small business toolkit with practical self-paced lessons that cover the what's working now and proven strategies to actually have success when it comes to using Instagram, email marketing, Pinterest, LinkedIn, collaborations, sales, productivity, blogging, SEO, money management, and so much more. Plus, you can join in monthly coaching calls with me and enjoy new masterclasses every month. And of course, you'll become part of the most, if I do say so myself, supportive and collaborative global community of female entrepreneurs. So guys, don't miss out. Make sure you enroll in the Modern Marketing Collective before prices go up on the 1st of July. Just click the link under this podcast episode or go to the link in my Instagram bio where you'll find all the details. Now, let's bring on Grace to the show. So, Grace, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure. And I'm so excited to have this chat with you. Now, like I said, I like to kind of kick things off, first of all, with my guests to ask what they might be listening to or reading or watching right now. So is there anything? I know that you've probably got your hands full. You've got a two-month-old daughter. Are you managing to fit in anything else? Exactly. I was just about to say, I haven't read a book, 
for months, so I can't answer the reading question, but listening, I've been listening to quite a few kind of business podcasts at the moment and it feels a bit like if I get in the car, I often listen to like Mark Burris, The Mentor or um, Ladyland, you know, that kind of stuff, but it feels like work. But a couple of kind of escapist podcasts for me is Long Distance Call or LDC, um, which is a conversation between Geraldine Doog, an ABC journalist, and her daughter Eliza. And Eliza has been living in Beirut and she kind of calls her mum once a week and they record the conversation. It's like a, a bit about politics, a bit about family, a bit about, you know, just living overseas and that kind of thing. So I love that one. And what am I watching? Oh, do you know what I've been watching a guilty pleasure while I've been breastfeeding is Friday Night Lights. Have you ever watched Friday Night Lights? I actually haven't. It's this incredible teenage drama but like centred around American football in Texas. But really it's just like that's the kind of backdrop for just a good look at middle America. And it's just this, like I got absolutely hooked. I think I've watched five seasons since August my baby was born. So that's how productive I've been. I will check that out. I have heard of it, but I haven't got into it. So thank you for the recommendation. It's not about self-improvement. It's just about enjoyment. Well, that's the thing. And I think... um probably not alone that as business owners we can get just stuck trying to be productive the whole time and listening to podcasts or that type of thing that are like efficient and I'm going to learn some stuff well great so I know before buy from the bush you were working and I do you still work in community development work as well no I worked in community development some years ago and then more recently worked in a startup business like an online employment platform for agriculture yeah perfect and I know that you've you've spoken about that need to really define what a problem is and then develop a solution to it, kind of from that background and the work that you've done. And to lead into the incredible, I don't even know, what's the best word that you call buy from the bush, campaign, movement, festival, what do you tend to refer to it as? It's so funny that you ask that because I struggle every time I kind of insert it in a sentence, never quite feels right. At the start, I just called it like a hopeful movement. But it's evolved into what I would now call, you know, obviously it's kind of a campaign, an awareness raising campaign, but it's evolving into a business. So um, it's all of those things, I would say. Yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? It's like it started with one thing and what it's become. But I wanted to speak about that notion of really the starting point being, okay, well, what really is the problem here? And then how do we create a solution for it? First of all, like, what does that actually look like and mean for other people that might be like, okay, well, how do I apply that into my own business? So I, I worked in community development and then kind of took a very strange step into the world of a startup business and for the first time heard it through that frame, like define the problem, develop the solution. And, um, you know, the problem being the need or the demand and the solution being the product or service. So once you really identify what the problem is, you can develop the best solution for that problem and then you're getting good market product fit and there's a customer who wants to pay for it. But funnily enough, even though I would never have defined it in those terms, if you're working in community development, I mean, that's exactly what you're doing. You're kind of consulting the community. You're really working out what problem they have and you're working with the community to solve that problem collectively. It was kind of an an instinct I developed that helped me in kind of a commercial world, in the startup world and then in buy from the bush. So what it means in real terms is that you can come up with the best idea in the world and develop this like shiny, sexy product. But unless it's solving somebody's problem, 
they're not necessarily going to pay for it or engage in it or be interested in it. So once you kind of understand exactly what people need, then I think your product uh, will be better for it. And that that means that sometimes you think you know what the problem is, but actually once you kind of delve deeper with the customer, um, what you thought that problem was, you know, actually wasn't it, it at all. So, I mean, it, feels, it sounds like I'm talking in loops, but I'm going to give an example of like a friend who runs a training business, like an outdoor exercise, she's a fitness trainer, but her whole concept was group training outdoors, friendly, like connecting with girlfriends, exercising, fresh air, and actually COVID obviously shut that down. So she took it online a little bit. And what's interesting is what she's discovering, she's delivering to her customer, she didn't realize was her kind of offering. So the outdoor training session is super localized. Obviously, you need to live in that area to attend. The people who are often really fit and healthy and confident there's women at home wanting to exercise, not living nearby, not having the time to attend and not wanting to kind of exercise alongside super fit, good looking people, but actually wanting the privacy of their own home. So she's accessed a whole new market through COVID um, by doing kind of, you know, pre-records and having people be able to download. Um, yeah, so that's kind of a classic example of she thought she was solving a problem because, of course, people would want to get out and exercise together in a, in a friendly group environment. But actually, there's a whole heap of customers who want to be at home by themselves in really daggy active wares. That's great. Thanks, Grace. And I'd love to hear how that then came about or what that looked like in practice as well for Buy From The Bush. And then also, what was it that that specific time was like, right, you're going to do something about it? What was happening for you and, and your community in Warren? Yeah, so we had been living through a few years of really significant drought in Warren and obviously elsewhere in the country they'd been experiencing drought for even longer than that. You know, parts of Queensland at that stage had already been in drought for six years and this, you know, it's still dry up there. So a long time with very li- limited kind of discretionary funds. So small businesses in small communities who are reliant on the agricultural industry to inject dollars into towns um, were really suffering and they were uh, many people were thinking about closing their doors. You know, casual staff had been let off. There was jobs were drying up. Things like fundraisers were being cancelled. People didn't have the money to buy tickets for fundraisers. But beyond that, there was also this feeling that I was identifying in people that, you know, people kept saying, oh, we don't want sympathy, but God, those people in the city, they just don't get it. And I was thinking, well, actually, it's okay to want sympathy. Like you do want sympathy. We, you want to kind of feel recognised and um, you want this incredible kind of national disaster to be recognised for what it is, which is just not an economic problem. It's actually a social problem as well. People were super isolated, um, depressed, that kind of thing. So there was a really clear need in my head, which was injecting dollars, like cash flow, job creation, but also this symbolic need for support from the city to the bush and for people to feel visible and valued and not in in the context of charity, but actually investment. So what was going to result in long-term change and potential growth at a time of downturn for small business in the bush? So, and at the time there was a lot of, you know, the campaigns that were out were, you know, where are you, ScoMo? People trying to shine a light on the plight of rural communities, but in my mind there wasn't a clear call to action. So how can we empower people in the city who care 
to help us and to engage in this story of drought. So social media was my solution, which sounds a bit silly, but ultimately it's a storytelling mechanism. So it solved that problem of wanting to communicate what drought did to communities beyond the farm, beyond the paddock, you know, shine a light on the hustle that was going on in a hard time, what especially women in business do when their husband's work is drying up. So social media and Instagram feed was a simple way of kind of showing that through pictures, but also having a clear call to action for people to see something they like and then they could buy it. So it's a direct line between a customer in Sydney and a business in a place like Warren. So we just, I just shared content from small businesses in drought affected communities and asked people, you know, if they like it to buy it. The day that you actually set it up, what was kind of like going through your mind? What was, I guess, your your thoughts about what it was going to be and, and why you were like, right, I'm doing something about this and this is kind of the direction I'm going? I think it was not just a moment in time. It was actually this kind of feeling that was bubbling inside me that this is actually getting really bad. Something needs to be done. But, you know, I was hearing interviews about the drought. The drought started to be talked about in, in the media but in a particular frame. So it was always around the ag industry and, you know, often, you know, talking about funding packages and very little about the human element of what happens in a community when a drought like this is occurring. So I listened to an interview between the Prime Minister and a, and a journalist and it just was missing something kind of critical. And so I started to write a letter. I sat at my kitchen bench and wrote a letter and then thought, what the hell does a letter do? What am I asking people in the city to understand and what can I do to get them to engage in this? So I literally kind of closed the letter and thought, okay, hang on, I'll just go to Canva and create a logo and then create an Instagram account. Like I had no plan. I just thought once, you know, sometimes it's best just to do. And then I was in my local IGA and I was checking out some groceries, check out and the girl behind the counter makes, I knew, she, you know, she was an 18-year-old studying her HSC but also making beautiful jewellery. And I said, hey, I've got this idea to, like, get people buying from the bush. Can I steal some of your photos and put them on Instagram? And she was like, yeah, sure. Like, she checked out my milk. And then, you know, I spoke to a few other retailers and I think, like, I didn't really care what it became. I just wanted to be proactive and do something. And, and really immediately, as soon as I started to talk to people about it locally, like my friends in Warren, they all wanted to help. They all wanted to, there was this feeling of like a collective need to address this really shitty circumstance that we were living through. So yeah, that's kind of where it came from. How did it take off so fast? How do you think it just garnered so much attention in, what was it? It was like the first six weeks you had X many number of followers or something like that. How do you think it spread like that? I think for a few reasons, but one really significant reason is that there was an enormous need. The need was so great and it was so immediate. People were really suffering. And I think people in the city really wanted to help. They just didn't have a way how, like they didn't know how to. And this was a very simple way to engage and to help people in need. And so I think really it was just once people learnt about it, they were very engaged. So they then took on the responsibility of sharing it with friends. And I think there was kind of a collective response happening. I also hustled really hard in terms of kind of PR and saying yes to everything and just trying to make lots of noise around it. So my instinct was the bigger the platform, the bigger the impact. So suppressing that 
cringe factor of, you know, putting yourself out there. And I just said yes and started talking about it. So the content that I was sharing was also super appealing. Like it was Christmas time, they were looking for gifts and they were falling in love with the things that I was sharing. So a bit of the fact that the businesses were great, a bit of the fact that they were helping, I think they could be part of something collective that was they knew was actually making a difference. Absolutely. And yeah, the photos would definitely have a very good eye for the style, the aesthetic, all that type of thing, which does really help, I think, when people are looking. That's a deliberate approach that I've taken in the sense that what I really want to achieve is people to look at rural communities and bush business in a different way. So be impressed by it and want to invest in it. And as a result, it's not, I don't kind of include everybody in it. It's not super feel good necessarily. It's about like, look how impressive this is. And if you like it, you know, follow the page and buy from them. So I'm not all inclusive is what I'm saying. You know, sometimes there's things that I can't include because I think it's not quite, you know, on brand in that way. So content is really important as well, obviously, even in this kind of um, social enterprise for lack of a better word. It's funny. I used to work at a tourism body in um, Ballarat and I used to manage the social media. And so we were a member organization, but I remember having those conversations with some business owners saying, look, we would love to feature you, but you really need to get some great photography. Like we can put this out there, but it's really not going to do much for your business. I mean, what's great about what Buy From The Bush is that anybody can use a hashtag and there's all sorts of people following that hashtag, wanting to connect and support Bush Business. But on our page, I think the strength of our impact relies on it being something that people won't click unfollow on. Like I, I really want people to just keep that feed in their Instagram so that they, for a long time, they might see something and just, oh, that's, that suits my need right now, I'll buy that. Whereas if I, if I think if it kind of gets diluted with stuff that isn't that engaging, um, then we lose impact in the long term. So, yeah, I agree with you. How has Buy From The Bush changed from those, it was only what, last October? Or November or so, yeah. 2019, to wind forward, not even a year now, but I can only imagine what the impact has been in your own life and just, I don't know what that's looked like. But how has it changed over time? What does it look like now? And I'd love to hear kind of exactly how it works. I know you've also started bringing out some products, which is absolutely awesome, some merchandise. And I'm curious if you have anyone that's now helping you. Could you explain, I guess, what Buy From The Bush looks like now? So for anybody who hasn't heard of it I I probably like I'm skipping a few details but basically we just get bush businesses to tag at buy from the bush or they use the hashtag buy from the bush and we then feature like we kind of curate a page featuring some of those businesses and and direct people directly to those businesses to shop from them it has been until now completely kind of run by volunteers myself another friend Millie Fisher and Georgie Robertson who does our PR in Wagga and a friend, Claire Mookie, who does all the web, like develops our website. So we just do it all because we wanted to have an impact on bush business. But obviously it's been completely all consuming <laughs> and it's turned a bit of a beast. So we now kind of um, actually just before coronavirus, we were kind of consolidating and trying to commercialise Buy From The Bush in a way that achieves long-term kind of sustainable support for rural communities. So transitioning it into a kind of a more commercial model, but coronavirus got in the way and also I had a baby. So um, we've enjoyed, we've actually enjoyed, like it's taken on new relevance at the moment because of this lockdown situation, you know, small business in the bush is hurting again. You know, we had 
drought and bushfire and now COVID. And people are really, I think the appetite for supporting small is kind of peaking again. It's been super busy through that time. And we've just released an economic impact report that takes a look at what we achieved for those businesses in the first four months, which has been really significant. We kind of generated 5 million of revenue in those first four months for the businesses featured on our page and 20% of businesses hired new workers and stuff. So we've been using that data to tell our story a little bit more at the moment, but also in this time of kind of international tourism lockdown, we are pushing our stay in the bush page, which is inspiring people to kind of get out into the, you know, off the beaten track and have holidays in rural communities and um, connect with the characters and, and obviously spend money, but also just, again, trying to kind of paint a picture of what a modern rural community is. You can get, you know, beautiful luxury stays and I suppose support the bush in another way. But we just launched a website, a stay in the bush website, um, and that's kind of a subscription model for accommodation providers. So slowly but surely kind of trying to resource this into a sustainable business. Yeah, and largely it's just run by Millie and I in our kitchens um, around kids and um, but looking to get corporate support on board as well. We've had like incredible um, partnerships so far with like PayPal and Visa and Facebook Australia, engaging corporate Australia, but also trying to transition this into a self-sustainable model. Mm. I can, I kind of see it in my head as though you must have been running to kind of catch up with where Buy From The Bush was going over the last few months. It's just been insane. (laughs) The way that it has captured people's interest and support and yeah, it's just, it's just incredible. Grace, you mentioned a few of the, you, you've released an economic report and you mentioned a few of the stats and the real change that has come from Buy From The Bush. And I wanted to hear some of the highlights, if there's some specific stories that you'd like to share about what Buy From The Bush has really helped achieve. I think like the other day I went for a, an appointment with my newborn and called in for a coffee at a local coffee shop. And it's kind of a gift shop, retail shop and coffee shop. And the retail was closed down for coronavirus. And so I was saying to the girl, you know, God, this must be a really weird time to own a shop in a small town. And she said, well, to be honest, we've been talking about this and it's actually going to be weird when we open back up because what Buy From The Bush allowed us to do before coronavirus was create an online website and grow our online presence so much that now this store is kind of like a showroom for our online sales. So we've been doing quite well and with like limited, like a skeleton staff and that kind of thing. So their model had shifted quite a lot, but they'd access this great new customer base. I don't know, that gives me real hope for what something like this can do for business in the bush. That idea that the cash flow injection that Buy From The Bush achieved for these small businesses allows them to scale in a way that they they didn't know was possible. And they, you know, that same business owner, I'd been talking to her at the very beginning of this campaign. And she was saying to me, look, it's just not, it's not viable for my business to have an e-commerce website. Like that just doesn't make sense to me. It's not going to happen. And then, you know, it's, it's six weeks or eight weeks later, and she's launching it on her Instagram page and doing really bloody well out of it. So, and also like leveraging this opportunity so well, so impressively, like incredible, an incredible social media feed and incredible kind of community engagement and so that really excites me but also just in terms of like sheer numbers like some kind of dried fruit grower in South Australia she earned within three days of being featured on our page I think she 
um, in revenue and which is, you know, sold half of her yearly crop in those first three days and went on to sell out. And, and again, she's told me that that big boom allowed her to kind of develop new product and expand in ways that she'd been wanting to for a long time but hadn't been. So there's been stories of people just paying bills with, you know, just being able to turn the lights on and put food on the table, but also real business growth and scaling up, which is I think this super exciting part for me and that economic impact report, I suppose, revealed that um, it didn't surprise me, but 97% of the business owners that we feature on Buy From The Bush are, are women. So it's really a women-led small business project in the bush. And that's largely because a lot of women are out here supporting farming partners or, you know, in agricultural businesses. And they do things on the side to satisfy both a creative urge, but also to generate alternative income when times are really lean in ag. So for Buy From The Bush to be a vehicle for for female-led business to grow and thrive and connect with new customers, like up to 19% of those people are now shipping internationally. And um, a great number of yeah, I think 60% are shipping interstate. And they're businesses that before that were really aimed at just their local community. So it's transformative and really exciting. That's amazing. Are there key things that you see for the businesses that are doing really, really well, who are involved in Buy From The Bush? Are there any key things that you're seeing that they're, that they're specifically doing in their product selections, marketing, social media? This is all gut instinct. I'm no expert. It's, it's really just about, as you said, just observing and um, kind of watching anecdotally how their accounts are growing. But I think people who have a really good aesthetic and know what their account you know, their Instagram account should and could look like. I think that they're doing really well. I also think there's been a bit of a shift in terms of how they use Instagram in this campaign. So before it might have been for, you know, kind of lots of inspo shots, lots of kind of this is my beautiful shop or like I love this inspiring shot of a field (laughs) or a paddock. I think now that's transitioning to conversion. So how can they use for me, the ones that I think are really impressive are the ones who are using it to convert customers in that Instagram feed. So a bit of inspiration, a bit of community engagement and storytelling, but also here's a product on its own um, in a really clear, beautiful shot and you can buy it for this price at this, like a really clear call to action and converting them on the spot. I think that's been a bit of a shift. So much I hear about social media is about the getting a community, like getting the community following so I think that's where a lot of the energy has has lay before now. But I think um, what this has taught people is that social media can be used really instead of, an, of a website. So, you know, people, really small makers and creators on farm don't need a complicated website. They can just convert customers through an Instagram post and, you know, take payment um, via DM. So, yeah, I, I would say the ones who are doing really well are creating beautiful content but also with an eye to conversion. Couldn't be better advice, really. It's so good. And I always talk about it like, you know, have your call to actions. Millie, who works with me, often says to me, you know, we're all, always on our feed looking at the tag at Buy From The Bush, looking, you know, trying to find new businesses. We often click through to the, the profile and it's a long time before we know what they're selling. You know, sometimes we're scrolling quite a long way before we know what they're selling or know how we can buy from them. So that's a really big learning for people. If Yeah, I mean, I know I've actually checked out some of, your post and, and being really clear on your in your bio, but it's just so 
productive. You know, we're kind of an example of one big consumer. We're sharing your your content with a lot of consumers, but in a way, like we land on your page just like a consumer would, and we want to know about you and what you're selling. And sometimes it's you've got to really get into the weeds, which already, um, you know, I'm moving on. So it's yeah, it's critical. Grace, have there been any, well, um, there would have been, I know, because there always are, but challenges along the way. Are there any big challenges or periods that you've been through during the Buy From The Bush in the last, since you launched it, that have been tough for you? I always say that this has been the most overwhelmingly positive experience. I haven't got any real negative pushback. There's been people supporting in the most practical way and helping us in really, in real terms. So if I want to kind of express my overall feeling about it, that's what it's been. It's been super positive. But, of course, the challenge for me is running this without drawing an income from it and managing, you know, family commitments and and supporting my husband who we rely on his income. So this has to every now and again take a back seat. But also I know how high the stakes are for people. Like, you know, we have been a bit of a lifeline for those businesses. So the weight of that is quite heavy at times, but also coronavirus did to us what it did to so many businesses. You know, we had a clear path that we were taking and we had lots of opportunity and lots of thing, exciting things happening. And, you know, within a week, I think I just got email after email saying, oh, about that, about that partnership, that's cancelled or about that opportunity, you no longer have that. So um, it's, yeah, reimagining what we can be and what we're, what, you know, some of the decisions we need to make just like so many small businesses are doing at the moment. So what can we expect next from Buy From The Bush? And maybe plans have changed a little bit, but what's on the, what's on the horizon? Lots of focus on Stay In The Bush at the moment and, and really, I mean, we think the kind of Stay In The Bush, Buy From The Bush experience is so great. The idea that you can kind of, you know, you've had the experience of sitting in your, in your lounge room experiencing these or, or fight, discovering these bush businesses, but now you can't go overseas. Why not travel to these incredible places and stay in beautiful accommodation and meet incredible characters and know that, you know, it's kind of travel with purpose. So that's what um, we want to build out that story quite a lot. Um, and buy from the bush, as I said, we are trying to, build on this initial traction so that it is something that people can always rely on to find beautiful businesses and um, and services, you know, products and services from communities that really value your dollar. So what that looks like at the moment is just being tweaked and, and tested. Yeah, hopefully we'll be ramping up again um, for your Christmas shopping spree. <laughs> I think so. I think so. And, yeah, it sounds as though... It's almost, you know, fortunate that Buy From The Bush started several months before COVID-19 hit because it sounds as though a lot of the retailers were then in a way forced if they wanted to be featured and get really good traction to kind of get their social media, potentially set up some online stores. And hopefully that's at least seeing them carried through a little bit at this time as people are in lockdown and, and that type of thing. Grace, final question. I would love to hear, looking back, is there something that you wish you knew right before all of this started or a piece of advice you have for anyone else from what you've learned? It's truly one of those projects where I don't have many regrets because um, I've really been focused on outcome and being really clear on what, what I wanted the impact of Buy From The Bush to be. And that meant just having a crack, not worrying about it being perfect, just kind of adhering to that progress, not perfection idea. 
and kind of saying yes to things and just getting things going. So to look back and kind of like there's so many things that could have been done better, but I don't really think it pays to dwell in that um, necessarily. If we'd had such quick success, I would have spent probably more time in the planning phase. Like, so I wasn't kind of making decisions on the run quite so much. I would have had a really clear path, but I don't think I would have anticipated having the opportunity nor impact that we had. So if somebody would have whispered in my ear that we'd have a global pandemic and the world would be shut down, that might have helped. <laughs> might have helped a bit, but I, I don't know. Probably not a whole lot we could have done otherwise. <laughs> Well, Grace, thank you so much for taking some time out for your day to chat with me. I've loved speaking with you. Where can everyone find Buy From The Bush? I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but could you give them somewhere to go? The Instagram experience is my preference. So it's at, at Buy From The Bush on Instagram, all one word, the same on Facebook. But if you're not into social media, which I dare say most of your listeners will be, but um, there's a website, www.buyfromthebush.com.au. And also stayinthebush.com.au. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Grace. Thank you for listening to The Emily Osmond Show, brought to you by my Instagram freebies, which you'll find at emilyosmond.com forward slash free. So please take a few seconds to leave me a review, subscribe so that you don't miss an episode, and be sure to take a screenshot of this podcast, upload it to your social media, and tag me at Emily Osmond so I can give you a shout out too. Until next time, remember connection over perfection. You've got this and we'll speak soon.